0: happy new year this is episode 77 of the get in my garden podcast i'm aaron moskowitz and today we meet nina fulch of compost santo located in northern new mexico she's a student of the work of dr elaine ingham in the soil food web and i'm so grateful to her for sharing so openly about the composting business she manages the things she most loves about this work, and some of the challenges they have faced while the business has grown over three years. If you're interested in composting as a business and are interested in the details of running such an operation, this is an episode for you. I learned a lot from Nina and will feature the rest of our interview ASAP once it's completed. This episode is published on the first Monday of the year. Happy new year. And I hope you have all had a chance to look to the future and do some planning. Now is actually a great time to start composting in preparation for spring. Please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen from, if you'd like to get notified of future episodes, and then please leave a positive review if you want to support the show. Thank you so much. I was excited to see that you're one of the, what I was told there were only four people who are involved in soil food web work here in New Mexico.
1: Oh, wow. I'm excited to hear that, you know, of four people I haven't really met anyone who's working at least not in the compost environment or, or whatever business industry. I haven't met anyone who's producing compost that is paying attention to that, not on a business level anyway. I've met people kind of doing their own thing. Most of those people also don't really know a heck of a whole lot about how to really build compost in New Mexico. And so that's been interesting to talk to folks and kind of see how they're trying to do it at home and and the issues that they're running up against.
0: So as far as New Mexico goes, we all as gardeners know that it seems difficult in some ways here. But what have you specifically faced in New Mexico? And what, what kind of things do people have to focus more on here?
1: Well, in general, you know, I like to focus on just building compost, but I think even talking to folks who are gardening or farming, the biggest issue by far is lack of organic material. Uh, Soils Mm -hmm. here are very sandy or very clay heavy. And so that seems to be the biggest challenge is growing foods or growing anything really that depends on organic material. Uh, the second challenge, of course, is water, right? Mm-hmm. That is really the reason why we don't have a lot of organic material is it's so dry here. That tends to be the two biggest challenges. Maintaining your growth because you 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 have access to water. And if, if you're the type of person that really appreciates and likes to work with or grow foods that depend on organic material, that's your other challenge, just finding it, really.
0: Mm-hmm. And so... I know that from my own research, basically, that different municipalities, they do have sometimes like certain components of compost that you could use and get from them, not necessarily devoid of pesticides or something like that. I mean, you never really know what you're getting, but even using those resources, do we still have kind of a shortage here?
1: Generally, what I come across are small gardeners more than the big farmers or anything like that. I think those are the people that tend to go to the state produced composting facilities. I see. But I think because land here, because the ground is so is so sandy and so clay and so compacted in a lot of places, mm-hmm. that folks don't really understand how to not just, you know, you can, you can get organic material, you can get compost, uh, even though you may not know about the soil food web, and you can add that to your property, to your, to your garden area or, or your land. If you don't know how to maintain that organic material, if you don't know how to protect it from the sun, how to keep it well watered, it'll eventually just turn to nothing. It'll turn to sand. You know, it kind of takes mm-hmm. over the dust, and and the dryness will really do some serious damage to organic material in general.
0: Yeah, that's definitely my experience. Well, mm-hmm. and so it seems mm-hmm. like so the maintenance component is really critical here in New Mexico. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and. Is that something as you're, when you are, I guess, finding customers, do you set them up and then continue to visit their yard? I know you said that you're not um, spending time really doing microscope work for other people, but how do you get your people to do that?
1: I think, you know, it really boils down to that small window of interaction that we have when a customer shows up to pick up or purchase their compost and we strike a conversation and we start talking about what they're doing and how they're doing it and what their goals are. Because right now running the composting yard, even though I'm not the owner, I pretty much manage the entire thing. And we're talking about building, turning, watering, whatever is related to the compost itself. I also manage emails, phone calls, sales. Oh wow! Yeah, I pretty much do it all. I don't. I don't have help. At least not this year. In the previous years, I had a little bit of help from some other coworkers uh, and my boss. But my boss is this year kind of felt ill and has been just trying to take care of himself, which I encourage wholly. But that means that I kind of have had to pick up. On everything else, and don't get me wrong, I I actually really enjoy it. It's Uh (laughs) I I I sometimes feel really sheepish admitting this, but I like working alone. I'm 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 a little bit of a a introvert, and I love figuring out my day on my own and being in control of what needs to happen. But that said, I do have my day pretty much full. I'm always doing something, and so I don't have a lot of time to go out of my way to. Visit people and, and their properties and see what they're doing. So it all really just boils down to that conversation, that window
0: gotcha. where
1: I speak to them and try to figure out what they're doing. And you know, people will have a lot of questions. The ones that are really into the soil food web, I think those are the conversations that tend to last the longest, and and you know, are a little bit more intricate. And uh, people get really excited about what we're doing. And then, of course, we have folks who've never really heard of the soil food web. And, you know, so I'll try to introduce that conversation and explain what we're doing and and explain, you know, how we started doing the compost and why we do what we do in the way that we do it. And sometimes that clicks for people and and, and it sparks an interest and, and they become really excited about the potential of what they're doing. But I'm sad to say that that isn't always the case. Sometimes we have folks who just simply don't. I don't know if it's if it's mm-hmm. that they don't care or if if they don't have the time to focus on those things, but it doesn't necessarily always click in that way.
0: Well, I know for sure that oh, there is a certain group of people who I've met that right. they in theory would support all the soil food web work and, you know, making sure they're about ba- there is some sort of balance and life in their right. garden, but they can also get away with, you know, ornamental plants that are pretty striking and feeding them conventional products.
1: Really awesome for us, because compared to the other composting sites in the surrounding area, mostly Santa Fe, because that's really the closest to us as far as competitor composting sites is concerned. Albuquerque mm-hmm. has the next big ones, but they're so far away that I don't think we even register in their world. But locally, Santa Fe, Ambe, which is where we're at we find this small group of very, very loyal customers who really understand what we're doing, really want the type of product that we're making, have tried the compost in, in, in from other sites and have run into problems or haven't been as happy. And so that makes us feel really excited and really proud of the type of work that we're doing. You know, it's a, such a little thing, but I guess there is that little bit of joy of, of knowing that we're doing something to better these environments and better these these crops and and these gardens and and the type of food that people are eating. So that's really encouraging. And we got a lot of demand. Uh, we can't keep up. We sell out a lot. And that's a beautiful challenge.
0: Are you using a secchia water?
1: We are using well water. Yeah. And so it becomes tricky. I wish I could say that we're using a secchia okay. water, but The farm, so the composting yard is part of a much bigger farm. Mm. Uh, The acequia water that comes into the farm goes to the fields. And those fields, by and large, are used to grow hay and just, just natural fields, you know, part of the farm. But some of them are used to grow hay. And so that's another little business that the owners have. So we don't have access to that water. We use well water. And of course, that's also, that's limited, but we've done really well with it. I've been able to, I guess I have this system where we don't, we rarely have runoff water coming out of the piles. And when we do, it's very, 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 you know, small amounts.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it actually is. So it's taken a few years to kind of perfect that knowing, and it's weird, it's almost like, like being a, a chef or, or you know being really good in the kitchen you just kind of know mm-hmm. when to stop and you create these instincts on how much water you're being you you're putting in into the piles and so that's worked out really well but yeah our space is limited uh and so that means that we can't expand despite the demand and so we're we're uh-huh. having to figure out this balance of how we are able to produce the volume that our customers are demanding without losing their, their loyalty and, and also maintaining the quality, which is really our number one priority, is always
0: going to be quality over volume. That's so great. As far as the equipment that you're using, I've kind of done some looking and I mean, some of the other people that I'm familiar with, and of course, in California, where there's a huge cannabis right. market, and there's so much more of an economy. Mm-hmm. They're charging 750 per cubic That's yard. That's
1: crazy. Oh my God. I mean, I can't even imagine, to be honest. If we had that type of market here, that would be amazing. We're so tiny. We're still growing. We're relatively new. We've only really been functioning as a business for, I want to say, three, four years. Gotcha. Initially, being naive and, and just being a little ignorant about the market not so much the the quality and the product and how to make it. You know, I did some classes with uh, Dr. Ingham and, and and my mentor, Zach Wright, taught me a lot. Awesome. Yeah. But the market is a whole different beast. And so really trying to understand how that world works has been challenging. And we started making piles by hand. And that eventually became unsustainable just because of demand. And so then we moved on to building bigger piles with tractor and using the tractor bucket And we've maintained that system so far, but we've expanded our volumes and we've moved stuff around to create more space. But we started selling our compost really cheap because we thought we could never possibly compete with the bigger
0: producers. And then you found people who really understood what you were selling. Right.
1: And so now we're like, the demand has become so high, we aren't able to keep material available. Every single person, every single customer we talk to, they're like, we'll pay more. We'll pay more.
0: It seems like that's so perfect because. I do think that anybody who really is the right customer and understands it, it's not going to be a competition about price. Right,
1: right. And and so that is really encouraging. And for me, it's a little bit of a selfish thing to say because I love my job. I love making compost. I love coming to work. And so it's a relief for me to know that our customers appreciate and understand and value what we're doing enough to say, please don't stop. We've had customers concern. They're like, hey, are you closing shop? And we're like, no, 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 not as long as you guys are okay with us increasing our prices to uh, be able to maintain the business. And so we're feeling really, really grateful and lucky to be able to continue to do this and uh, just learning along the way.
0: And as far as the other products that might exist around compost, such as teas or inoculants, are you involved in that at all?
1: So that's tricky. We've, we've talked about those, trying to produce those things. We brew tea, we brew compost tea to apply here at the farm on our fields for our hay and i do build inoculants that i use then to apply teas to our piles to kind of maintain that uh-huh. biology but there's a lot of concerns with the liability of producing these teas as a business and my bosses have been very cautious in moving in that direction i've been pushing for it i would i would love to sell teas more than anything else inoculants that's easier to do but I feel like our compost is such a high quality that the inoculants are generally the compost themselves. Like, I don't know that we need to really sell inoculant, but the tea, I think, would be an amazing uh, product to start uh, to provide. And, and, and that this year, I've been really pushing for it. I'm hoping that this coming new year, we can start to go in that direction.
0: I guess there's options around worms, worm products, things like that. We do also have
1: a small area for worm composting. So we also sell worm castings. Eventually our goal is to also sell the worms themselves. Uh, But right now our worm composting area is is fairly small and new. And so we're kind of working our way up into that. And again, it's just me managing absolutely everything. It's a little hard to expand quickly and also, just letting people know that that's what we're doing. And so we're trying to grow with the demand so that that we can justify expanding those areas. And we have tried to, in the past, uh, we've gone to the farmers' market and we've had tents and the try to sell. But honestly, Again, with just one person, it's not, it's not something we can pull off anymore.
0: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: And honestly, like I said before, the demand is so high. I like to call it a beautiful problem and it is a problem, right? Because if we don't have the product, then we, we're losing in a, in a sense. So I'm hoping that by introducing those teas this coming year, uh, we are trying to advertise for the warm castings and we are also trying to advertise for bagged compost so that's another thing that we've started doing this this year we were initially just selling bulk unsifted compost basically by the truckload okay and now we're really moving into the bagged sifted material.
0: And can you talk about that? Like, what would someone find in that bag as far as like the activity?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing. Uh, it, the main difference we we sift to uh, uh, an inch, we use an inch, you know, mesh. So it's not super fine material. There's still some pretty uh, coarse uh, stuff in there and the carbon that contains the fungi and so the biology wise, it, it stays pretty much the same. We don't lose a lot. If if we do lose, it would be on the fungal component um, because it, okay. they tend to really adhere to the larger carbon material like wood chips and, and such. But as far as the biology, from what I've been able to tell uh, and checking in our lab I don't really see a significant change, to be honest.
0: That's amazing. So they go into, what kind of bags do they go into?
1: Well, we are low key and we recycle as much as possible. One of the key ingredients that we put in our compost is beer mash or spent grains from local breweries. And uh, one of the breweries we pick the mash up from, she will save the, the grain bags for us. And so we've been reusing those grain bags to to sell this year though towards the end of the year we started running out of bags due to demand and so we are contemplating we're, we're looking into alternatives to bag the material and it's tricky because we like to keep things uh eco-friendly and uh low footprint and, and but it's challenging when it comes to packaging uh, a, a product like this and so yes that's been tricky uh we're trying to encourage our customers to bring their own containers, and that always helps. But for now, we're just trying to reuse the bags that we get from from the brewer.
0: Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you have with your customer base already having too many orders. Almost, it's not like that's a product that's going to sit on the shelf. So no,
1: we no, it definitely does not. Um, we sell relatively fast. Our curing process. You know, from beginning to end, from the moment I build the pile to the moment that it's ready for sale, I want to say it takes roughly about four months. And, uh-huh. and you know, we're talking about pretty big piles, uh, 20, 25 yard piles. Uh, and so the temperature tends to linger, not hot, not super hot, after the first uh, week, week and a half, after the, those first five turns. The temperature drops considerably, but it'll it'll linger in the mid 80s. Sometimes it'll bump up to the 90s or you know high 70s. And I'm always very hesitant to sell compost that's that warm, so I'll let it sit a little bit longer, make sure those temperatures drop, so that there are no issues with that. But usually like I said, the whole process, four months, and and it, it'll take no time to sell. This past year, we sold out of, I think we had built uh, about 200 cubic yards and we sold out by early spring, I want to say March, early April.
0: That is so awesome.
1: Our demand is increasing by the year. And so we're always just trying to figure out how to recuperate from, from that, um, selling out period, mm-hmm. the product does not sit around at all. It sells relatively fast. So,
0: so if it were bagged, I, I am not someone who uh, spends much time with a microscope. I was wondering like what happens over a period of months or something, if you have a bagged product. Like it might kill off a lot of that.
1: So we bag to order. We never pre-bag anything.
0: Okay, that's what I thought you probably meant. That's
1: why I tell customers, and it's even on our website, as soon as you place your order, the first thing we tend to do is make sure we settle on a time and date for pickup. And then based on that time for pickup, I will prepare the bags either the day before or tops two days before. So the bags, Mm -hmm. then when we prepare our bags... I never let them sit in the sun. I'll keep them in the in a shady area where it's cool and out of the sun or, or whatnot. So we take a lot of care in making sure that that bagged product is as fresh as can be, you know, and, and, and it maintains uh, moisture and, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit in the sun or it, the bags are never so tight that they can't breathe. And, and so, yeah, we, we take a lot of care.
0: That's awesome. Would you say that most of your customers are edible gardeners or uh, ornamental gardeners? Or do you have a lot of farm customers?
1: I'd say most of our customers, we get a little bit of everything. I have uh, quite a few customers that are just growing edible plants. I have some customers that are growing cannabis. I have some customers Mm -hmm. that are growing hemp. I have some customers that are literally just maintaining their orchards, their trees. And then I have a few customers that are really just getting compost for their ornamental plants. But that is that. That is definitely a, a small number. Most of them are, like I said, either growing food or growing cannabis in some form, whether it be hemp or, yeah, just cannabis.
0: Have you found a lot of market gardeners who wanted to go? I mean, obviously, they're more likely to be interested in the soil food web because they're organic.
1: Right. Um, you know, I... No, not really. We've had a few, but very, very small. I think the folks I mean are you talking about like like large production
0: like big farmers? Not necessarily. I found that a lot at the farmers' market, a lot of the people are really farming on like one or two acres yeah. at most on average, but I still also found that they don't really have the um investment capital to make big changes to their soil right.
1: That's definitely an issue, but by and large, the folks that we have. Especially the the loyal customers, the ones that keep coming back and demanding more and more all the time, they're definitely, you know, they they have a much bigger understanding of the soil food web and organic production. So organic foods. And so they're, you know, yeah, for sure. Most of the customers that we have are definitely well versed on the and they want organic products and uh, you know, they're trying to maintain things as clean as possible. And we've had a lot of concerns with persistent pesticides, just pesticides in general, fungicides mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's definitely a huge concern. Luckily for us, we are not, uh, I have to say, we're not certified organic, but we try to, the, the materials that we put in our compost, uh, we try to make sure that they're clean of the products that we, or or the materials that we put in our compost, the feedstocks, they're coming from this farm. So, you know, leaf mulch, grass, uh, grass kippings, food waste, uh, whatever it may be, it's generally the wood chips are coming from this farm and we don't use any, any form of pesticides or fungicides or anything like that. So we're really confident about that. The only materials that we pick off-site are the horse manure. We don't use cow manure. We just use horse manure. Some chicken manure we use from our chickens here. But the only things we pick up are horse manure and the beer mash. Great. The horse manure we've already confirmed and we've went through a whole process of doing our own tests. Because persistent pesticides, there's not really a, a, a good way to test for those. Mm-hmm. So we did our own grow, growth test with some, I think we used some legumes. I don't remember. That was a while back. But we confirmed that our horse manure is, is pretty clean. That The the, ranch, the horse ranch where we get the manure from, they don't use any hormones or none of the, the standard concerns are there. So yeah. it's pretty clean material. Uh, the beer mash is not organic, but we consider it to be an important part of our compost. And so far, based on our customers and their when they come back to us and they report how their gardens are doing or how their properties are doing and how it, things are getting better, we feel confident that it, even though it's not organic that particular material that overall the, the, the final product, the compost itself is is doing its job
0: That seems like it seems like it might be safe to say that whatever you are putting in, and if you're analyzing it and seeing a really healthy right. soil food web, that you're probably safe to go. Pretty right? much,
1: that's th- that tends to be our take as well. We analyze, or I guess, I analyze our compost as it's produced right before it's it's sold. We tend to check it in the lab, and I make sure that all the important organisms are there and the numbers that we want them. And yeah, you're right. As long as I see that in the compost and I don't see anything detrimental that I understand to be detrimental, then we're good to go. And that is our best measuring tool at this point.
0: Thanks for listening. I'll publish the second half of this interview with Nina Fulch of Compost Santo next week and as soon as possible. If you like the podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen from or leave a positive review to support the show. Until next time.